Today, we discuss all things macho. Yes, macho. In case you haven't heard, macho is making a comeback. A big comeback, by the way. And in case in case you're, you're doubting that in any, in, in, in any way, shape, or form, in case you, you don't believe that macho is on the comeback, ask Kevin Costner. Ask Keanu Reeves. Talk to Josh Brolin. Go down your aisle of, of, of manga. At, at, at Barnes and Noble or whatever bookseller you go to, look at One Punch Man, look look at Attack on Titan, look at Chainsaw Man. Macho is making a comeback. Where's it been? Why why did we ever get away from Macho in the first place? Macho is flexing now like it has never flexed before, and we're going to talk about it from its uh, its its humble beginnings in the Old Testament. You don't think the Bible was macho? The Old Testament is just full of macho. Samson, Joshua, David, all of it. Macho is is in our wheelhouse today. We're taking it all the way home on today's Raw Observation. A very macho Raw Observations. Hey everybody, I am Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another edition of Raw Observations. What are we going to do on Raw Observations today? I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to discuss the return of macho, okay? The return of macho, and we're going to diagnose all of the, 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 the lack of macho. Where's macho been? Where is macho? And we're going to play a, a little game, and we're going to kind of pull a bunch of threads together that may surprise you, but this may seem like one of the biggest, longest stream of consciousness shows I've ever done, but believe me, I have a plan. And, uh, and I invite you to join me in this plan, which examines where's, where's the macho been and, 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 and is it coming back and, and, uh, and how's it coming back? Where's it coming back and, 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 and what's going on to put the macho back. So we gotta, we gotta dial it all the way back and explain what the macho is. And so long time listeners, I've told you this recently, you guys have cracked me up and uh long time listeners of the show. Cause we're in our third season here early on. I spoke of uh, my my childhood growing up and absorbing uh, as as much of of a show called The Six Million Dollar Man as I possibly could. So you got to understand. So I'm growing up in the 1970s, and in 1975, I'm seven, uh, turning eight. You know, and 76, I'm I'm eight, turning turning nine. 77, nine, turning ten. I'm always a late birthday in the year, so so I, I definitely get that dance at the end of the year where the where it turns. I saw Star Wars summer in 1977. I'm nine years old, but by October I'm ten. Okay, so so uh, you know, the Six Million Dollar Man debuted as a couple of um, TV movies on the ABC network. I think the first one was maybe 1974, 1973, but they made a couple of them. They were finding their way with them. And then they had done such good ratings that they greenlit the series. The series ran, runs for five seasons. Along the way, he meets and battles other bionic dudes. There's a $7 million man. There's there's the fembots. There's also other robots. A lot of robot makers on this show. Everybody's trying to outdo the dynamics of Steve Austin, our lead character played by Lee Majors, and his bionics. 
they introduced a love interest. She is uh, near has a near death accident, and Steve convinces the government to pour bionics into her in order to save her life and give her some semblance of life back. This becomes the bionic woman, Jamie Summers, played by Lindsay Wagner. So at, at its peak, ABC gets two bionic shows. Uh, one on Wednesday, one on Friday, eventually, then one on Sunday, then one on Wednesday. They, they, they shifted them around. But what you need to know is they were top-rated shows. Six Million Dollar Man was always, like, in, in at its peak, in its peak form, top five, top three show. Bionic Woman at one point became the number one show for a brief period, but actually got higher ratings than Six Million Dollar Man. But they would share crossovers. Some of the best storylines ever did was it would start in Six Million Dollar Man, go to Bionic Woman on a Wednesday, come back on a Sunday on Six Million Dollar Man. So you got one, two, three. They did that a couple of times, a couple of extended storylines. I mean, they battled aliens. They battled um, moon probes that were designed to, to, to you know, to, to probe the, 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 the terrain of the moon, but the probe comes back and lands on Earth and, and the probe is mad and it's like a tank and, and it's got claws that come out of it. Yes, this is all stuff I watched in the 70s. Six Million Dollar Man was a, an incredibly entertaining show. Steve Austin, in essence, was an American version of James Bond with bionics. He was an agent that went out on missions every single week and would find whether it was Russian bad guys, whether it was crime lords, whether it was bad scientists, robots, you know, secret probes, aliens from outer space, Sasquatch, and those two storylines would be connected, obviously. But uh, it was always a blast, always super fun, and you got a good amount of action in it. Well, the reason that um, this is so important to the to this moniker of Macho is on both shows, an actor named Richard Anderson, not Richard Dean Anderson, not MacGyver, Richard Anderson. Uh, as I watch all the uh, westerns of 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 my youth, uh, I see Richard Anderson in you know episodes of Bonanza, Gunsmoke, um, Big Valley, Alias Smith and Jones, uh, you know. Uh, some of my favorite westerns. Richard Anderson was was a character actor, and he broke big in in his biggest role, his most memorable role. I mean, the role that got him an action figure, a doll, uh, as Oscar Goldman, the head of the uh, agency that Steve reported to. And uh, when Bionic Woman goes into full time production, and they get all their seasons, and they're running simultaneous to Six Million Dollar Man. He's on both shows and he's talking in this documentary that is a part of this. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go to my salesman from Time Life, the $6 million man box set. Uh, this, this came out in like 2000, I want to say 2006, 2007. And I was quick to jump on the box set DVD, all the movies, every season from Time Life. Order now, Time Life, and you'll get an extra Steve... Raw, you know, Steve Austin, Six Million Dollar Man, hologram. Well, I did that, and and just so you know, I was probably on the cusp of forty or in my you know late thirties when I swiped that credit card, made sure that that arrived. It arrived before Christmas. I remember we were we were going with a bunch of families to look at Christmas lights, and I said to all the husbands, "You guys got to see this. You guys got to see this." And I showed them my Time Life box set of Six Million Dollar Man, all the movies, all five seasons, and the cool thing was. And I had a lenticular cover. Those of you into cards and comics know the lenticulars when that 
image moves if you move the the card or you tilt it the the, the image moves left to right they even did it on comic book covers in the 90s lenticular this had a this has a lenticular six million dollar man lid but if you if you open the lid it goes no 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 i mean i kid you not and they close it you start it again and then if you open it long enough as i discovered it goes into the the theme song goes which is the theme song of six million dollar man so i was excited to show all my buddies and one of me one of them looked at me like like lifefield you're out of your mind like like we're obsessed with golf and golf scores and 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 you're showing us your time life six million dollar man box set okay I know many of you who listen to this show can relate to me right now because because that's letting your freak flag fly and my freak flag was flying, but they all remembered it. Everybody watched, everybody my age was watching that show. They watched that show. Richard Anderson as Oscar Goldman tells on a documentary in this Time Life set. So the, the, the special edition is all of the juicy extras. And this, 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 uh, this box set has a bunch of them. The history of the merchandising of both shows, the, 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 the creation of the show, you know, it takes you through all in-depth uh, interviews with, uh, with, with, with Lee Majors and, and, and uh, Lindsey Wagner, I almost called her Jamie Summers, and, and Richard Anderson, who played Oscar Goldman. And Oscar Goldman's like, I was, I was being sometimes helicoptered between both sets. They'd be shooting at the same time, and I'd be on one in the morning and one in the afternoon. So he saw a lot. He knew a lot. He was probably, at one point, the most important guy in the whole pantheon of the $6 million man. Again, hit show. This isn't just me waxing nostalgic about a cult show. Six Million Dollar Man created the Bionic Woman. They both were top 10 shows. They both uh, lived in the top five briefly. Bionic Woman actually became more popular. But between them, hundreds of episodes, uh, maybe maybe eight seasons, um, a long time for hour-long action dramas in the 70s. So uh, in this documentary, which is part of this box set, uh, Richard Anderson is talking about the differences between Bionic Man, I mean, uh, the Bionic Woman show and Six Million Dollar Man. And he gets real, just calm and confident. And he says, and he says, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the big, the big, the big difference between Six Mill, Six Mill and Bionic Woman. I mean, we were a macho show. I mean, we were a macho show. There's, there's no doubt about it. And he just, he's so confident. And he always calls the show Six Mill, Six Mill. Oh, you know, Majors. He doesn't call Lee Majors, Lee Majors. He calls him Majors. Oh, Majors wasn't having it. He wanted to do his own stunts. Major wasn't having it. We are a macho show, macho. I mean, because, you know, Steve was macho. So I said this on the podcast in the first season. And people picked it up and ran with it. Macho show, macho show. And I'm, I'm talking about macho comics, how it relates to macho comics and the comics I grew up on. Well, here's the deal. We are sorely lacking anything even remotely resembling macho right now in the comics industry, in the American Western comic book industry. Before you roll your eyes, and and you're rolling your eyes because you know I'm right. I went to the comic store last couple weeks. I perused all the books. I put them all back. There's nothing, nothing. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, two years ago, before the pandemic, summer 2019, high-up executive at one of the premier comic book publishers says, you know, Rob, the problem is we just, we just, uh, we, we've lost, you know, 
the instruction that so many of these young artists need. And I'm like, you need to mail them all a copy of John Buscema's How to Draw Comic Books the Marvel Way. And I've talked about this before, but it was a seminal book that hit in 1978. I will never forget picking it up at the Walden Bookstore in my mall in Anaheim. And it was like, it says written by Stan Lee, but it, John Buscema drew every manner of, of instructional tutorial about how to better tell your comic books. And he'd say, this is a good way to tell it, but this is the Marvel way. And with the Marvel way, there was always a tilted angle, an upshot, a downshot, a more dramatic way. He'd, he'd, just, he'd, he'd show you guys entering rooms. And, and it was a beautifully drawn shot of just two guys in suits entering a room. One guy opening the door for the other. And then he'd say, but this is the Marvel way. He'd show you. And now it's, 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 it's shot a little you know lower, not quite a worm's eye shot, but a low angle. And the entire axis of the panel has been tilted. So it's a dramatic angle. And again, he does this also with the Avengers. He shows the Avengers running into action. And then he shows you a, a tilted dramatic angle of this. This is the kind of stuff that permeated my psyche about comics and, and, and really did help me understand why I love so much of what I did out of Marvel Comics and why so many of their artists uh, subscribed to this to these practices. And it's because they were handed down. John Simmel was a big deal at, at Marvel Comics. He picked up the mantle from Jack. He took a lot of Jack's storytelling and dramatic presentation because Jack knew exactly how to get the right angle every time. Go through a Jack Kirby book. The, the camera is rarely just sitting straight on anyone. It is tilting. It is tilting right, tilting left. It is upshot. It is downshot. Um, Mid-range shot. He mixed it up a lot. All and, and, and then later in How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way, they show you like a figure in motion whether it's running and or punching and there's a wind up on a punch and there's a mid a mid throw of the punch and then there's an extended throw of the punch and then there's a full follow through of the punch and he says this is where we like the punches at the very wind up the most extended arm fist going back clenching all the way wound up in the back and then the most the most extended punch he says everything in between isn't the marvel way but this is the marvel way the wind-up and the absolute delivery, the connected punch and the throw of the of the shoulder and the swivel of the hip, okay? As a kid, I ate this up. I, I took this home and I probably didn't put it down for three days. I just consumed, 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 consumed this manual and, and, and it goes into inking techniques, uh, you know, proportions, height that shows a really muscular guy. So this guy is no doubt that this guy that I've drawn here that you can see from head to toe is fit. He's very fit. Um, you know, he, he's very athletic, but here's Captain America. This is a, this is a, uh, 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 an, what we call an extended heroic figure. And Cap is almost a foot taller than this guy, a little broader. But again, the other guy doesn't look diminished other than when he is standing next to the heroic figure of Captain America, which is, you know, the way John Buscemi intended. And honestly, How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way could have just as easily been called How to Draw Comics the macho way, all right? And maybe that's in my future. I see they're doing a new um, How to Draw Comics, the Marvel way. I haven't seen it. Uh, I'm not really sure who's behind it, but it the, the original is such a perfect manual for how to understand the excellence with which Marvel approached their, their comic books. The most They wanted the most dramatic angle on every panel. 
Uh, they wanted the most dynamic figure, flying, throwing a punch, swimming. And, uh, and, and, and I mean, they just, they nailed it more often than not, which is why the Marvel age of comics is something people talk about. They overtook DC Comics. They started as an underdog. They overtook them. They became the market leader. They never looked back. Uh, people like myself and my peer group, we were we were influenced by by how to draw comics the Marvel way, and all of the guys that were actively practicing that. Everybody that you've heard me mention on this show practiced exactly what's in that manual. Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, Howard Chaikin, John Byrne, George Perez. I mean, John Buscema also, having learned all of the Kirby techniques to go with his almost Frank Frazetta level figure drawing, Hal Foster. I mean, John Buscema, I've talked about it. There's an episode you should listen to. It's called uh, the Mount Rushmore of comics, my own personal Mount Rushmore comics. And you're not going to find your modern name on there. They have no business. And no one from my my peer group is on there. So, so right now, that, that, that may deter you from listening. But the guys on there are masters. They're masters of the craft. It's like, it's like you can't get to um, certain directors without Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, even Spielberg would tell you that he leaned heavily on... Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock just did so much that you cannot dismiss him from the cinematic pantheon. He established so many tricks, so many um, innovative ways to tell a story, to move the camera, to hang the camera, you know, to, 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 just, to just let the camera be still and let people move through it. Um, th- there was such a style to what he did and so many people jumped on that that you can't deny on any level when someone is imploring a Hitchcockian uh, film technique or film device. And so, in the same way in comic books, there are masters, there are master-level guys who did it first and better than anyone's ever done it. Obviously, Jack Kirby's one of those guys. And then John Buscema was able to kind of make his own way because he took all of Kirby's dynamics, storytelling dynamics, and, and, and his... And his, and his uh, uh, dramatic panel techniques and and merge that with his superior figure drawing, the best figure artist that ever drew in comics. Okay, so so again, very macho. Now, is there a more macho artist than Jack Kirby? There's not. When, when I'm talking about all this stuff, I, I think of Jack Kirby. I think of I think of every single comic he ever illustrated, and. One of the things that Jack would do time and again, no matter what the comic was, Machine Man, OMAT, Captain America, The Avengers, Fantastic Four, any of the new guy titles, he would always do one guy fighting 10 guys. And, uh, and I mean, it's, <laughs> he, he did, he, guy bum rushing, five, six guys, pile driving them into a wall. And, uh, you know, the, the great thing, uh, uh, is, is, uh, is that, that, you know, he, there are pictures of him drawing at his drawing table, which I was in Jack's house in Thousand Oaks. His drawing table was positioned near the fireplace in the kind of living room, and it out it looked out towards Kitty Corner to their backyard, which had a beautiful pool, which had a beautiful kind of cliff mountain view of Thousand Oaks. You know that that area of Southern California it was beautiful. It was breathtaking. If you went to the edge of the concreted, the, the, the concrete of the pool area, he had a great view. 
it's not the valley, it's beyond the valley, but it's a great view of all the surrounding hills and, oh, it's just trees, breathtaking. Jack lived in a beautiful home in Southern California. You should know that he and his wife lived in a fantastic home with a tremendous view, but his 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 drawing table was positioned near the brick fireplace, and there's some great shots of him drawing in the afternoon and the morning with just his pants on, shirtless, and he's probably between 56 and 62 years old. The dude is the epitome of macho. Now, let's pivot away from macho in comics. We'll come back to that because we've got a lot of ground to cover here. There's a show on television, and it, it, it's, a, it's a show that doesn't get nearly the buzz that you would think it would get, especially when measured against the amount of eyeballs. I've always followed Nielsen ratings, you know, box office. That stuff just fascinates me. It's never been easier than now to follow that stuff because there's 20 reporters who want to give that data to you and give it to you first. So they just, you know, they just pour it on. It, it, it's it's all over the timeline when it, when this stuff comes out. But even way back when, when the newspapers would would print the the ratings, I would I would be all over that stuff. And uh, and 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 the thing is that you would be shocked at at the amount of people, um, you know, uh, 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 who are watching a show that we all know and love called Yellowstone. Um, uh, uh, and, and the thing is that, that, that the dirty little secret, I think, is that Yellowstone is, and, and honestly, everyone I share this with, and I, I give the facts, I give the, the links to the Deadline article or the Hollywood Reporter or whatever, the, uh, the ratings for Yellowstone are 5 million more than its closest competitor in 2021, early 2022, you know, uh, the last, the, 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 the cumulative total amount of eyeballs that watched the premiere of Yellowstone season, uh, four was 14 million. It then went on to average 10 million every week. And the next show behind it was getting 5 million, like 60 minutes or the voice. Um, you know, that's, that's literally like or an episode of FBI or CSI on CBS. These are the contenders for the 5 million threshold. And then there's Yellowstone on the Paramount Network grabbing 10 million eyeballs. And, and the reason that we're talking about this today is word has gone out. Word has gone out across Hollywood. Managers and agents have been told that Netflix and Hulu and uh, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, all the streaming services, Amazon, they go, wow, this Yellowstone audience, it's underserved. And, 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 and it's getting bigger bigger numbers than anything. We need more, and I kid you not, the term that is being put out there is macho shows. Macho shows. We need more macho shows. And uh, when my buddy called and told me that this is what he was told from his streaming service in regards to the deal that he had and to the shows that they needed to produce, we, we fell off our chairs laughing. We want macho shows. There's an unserved audience they've determined, an unserved audience. So if you don't know what Yellowstone is, that's fine. Yellowstone is, is a return to uh, Westerns. It's just it's, it's a, it's a modern-day Western starring the king of the modern-day Western, Mr. Dances with Wolves, you know, uh, Mr. Open Range, uh, uh, you know, Kevin Costner. And he is, it's really dynasty, um, on a ranch 
you know, the Dynasty in Dallas, the nighttime soaps. Everybody's got a soapy storyline, but they do it with guns and bloodshed. They throw people off cliffs. The body count is extreme. Uh, the, 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 they, they left with a really great cliffhanger on season three, but because of the pandemic, we had to wait almost two years. They opened up uh, season four with a just some in, an insane opening with tremendous amounts of firepower, machine guns, shotguns, uh, trucks, car chases. Um, and, and, and it should be no surprise that this is the handiwork of Mr. Uh, Taylor Sheridan. I first became aware of Taylor Sheridan's work when he was the credited screenwriter on Sicario. And it's funny because I was, I joked with Josh Brolin, who I was so fortunate to have portray Cable in Deadpool 2. Uh, uh, I joked with Josh after um, he got Cable and, and was fortunate to hang out, visit, uh, and, and, and have quite a, quite a few exchanges and, and uh, you know, dinners, breakfasts with Mr. Mr. Brolin. He even took me to the gym when he was going through his transformation to become Cable. And, and I told him that I just, I think it's funny that each of his different acts in his career have been, have been kickstarted by a super macho role. And the second act of his career, as he had become kind of a middle-aged man, was the Oscar-winning No Country for Old Men, which is every, which is a Western, you know, another modern-day Western. I think told in the late 70s or the early 80s is the setting for that show, but I mean... Um, the monster trucks, the machine guns, the stealing of the money, the pursuits, uh, a pit bull chasing you down in a river. Um, the, 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 the amount of macho wrapped up in no country for old men is severe and, and it plays great. It's got great heart the, the characters obviously go beyond the macho in, in case you think that I'm portraying that as a stereotype, but, um, no country for old men was gripping, it was a gripping thriller, but it had a western backdrop. I mean, you've got a, a a a tormented sheriff who's tired of seeing all of kind of the unfairness of life and crime around him, and he has to um, kind of try and track this killer. I mean, Woody Harrelson, uh, great turn in it. I mean, just uh, uh, first time I've ever seen you know that manner of kind of air gun deployed. Uh, just just amazing. Just one of the Cohen brothers, very finest works, but Brolin is the, you know, the star of this film, the co-star, the, the good guy, if, if that's how you look at it. He's definitely the guy we're rooting for. Then, lo and behold, you know, in 2013, he pops up in Sicario, which is a, a movie where he is portraying himself as this, uh, as this, as this, Drug runner. I mean, a uh, 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 guy who, not drug runner. His character in Sicario is kind of a secret agent. Doesn't like to talk about exactly what he does, but he is um, kind of operates and has the permission to operate within the boundaries and outside the boundaries of the law to uh, to bring down cartel level crime, and um, you know. Smuggling drugs. Uh, I mean, it, it, the, Sicario has everything. And the one scene in Sicario that everyone always talks about is this giant border showdown. As 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 uh, Josh and his uh, his posse are coming back from 
a, a investigating crime uh, in Mexico. They're coming back to the uh, the border to come back into the United States, and there is a giant uh, showdown uh, between the cartel and the you know really a faction of the CIA and law enforcement, and it's bloody and it's uh, it's just guns firing in every direction. It's rangers. And then there's several different, very violent inter- interactions throughout the course of this movie, and it culminates in this killer uh, special forces takedown of the of 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 a of a tunnel that the cartel is using to go between Mexico and the United States and and smuggle all manner of stuff, but in this case, uh, drugs. But it is the road that also leads to a certain identity, a cartel member. And, uh, and, and I mean, it, it is a gripping movie. Taylor Sheridan, uh, wrote Sicario and it is so well-written, so amazingly directed. And, uh, and again, it, it, it shot Josh back into the forefront of, of kind of these macho action roles. And the first time we meet Josh Brolin, he is wearing flip-flops. He is, uh, barefoot with flip-flops, um, you know, not, not shoes. And it's, it's the kind of thing you don't see all the time with a hero, in any movie, is the, the 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 shot that introduces him is a tracking shot of his feet walking in the the the, the either the police or the government uh, precinct where they're going to uh, interview uh, you know uh, a, a, a policeman a policewoman who they're going to uh, you know lure into kind of their 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 their, their purposes, and I don't want to give too much away. But it is an absolute amazing movie. The opening of this movie, where our cops uh, take down a uh, kind of a, discover a drug house, and 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 what's actually in the walls of this drug house is it's it's mind blowing. It's amazing. It's a very violent movie, very macho movie, um, and and I think that you will absolutely love it if you haven't seen it before. The sequel is good too. It's just not the same. Uh, quality in terms of I think originality of the original Sicario and of course Josh then goes on to be Thanos and then Cable and and you know uh he's Gurney in in Dune which which just came out which is another huge macho role like what if Obi-Wan Kenobi was uber macho um and I understand that Dune was written a long time ago but Josh's portrayal of him is spot on it's terrific um I think all of the macho characters in Dune uh, Duncan Idaho, played by Jason Momoa, is everyone's far and away favorite. And 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 watching uh, uh, Chalamet and and his Paul Atreides portrayal, watching him go from boy to man, is exciting. Again, really hits that macho nerve. But getting back to Yellowstone, Yellowstone is created by Taylor Sheridan, who went on to also write Hell or High Water with Chris Pine, which is another kind of cops and robbers movie, very violent. They're R-rated. All this stuff is R-rated. Yellowstone is R-rated. Uh, and and then Taylor Sheridan, uh, in 2017, directed a movie. Well, it was released in 2017, starring your two favorite Avengers, Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye, um, Jeremy Renner and 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 Mrs. Olsen. And uh, and and it is it is this uh, movie that takes place in 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 Alaska, if memory serves correctly. Wind River, another drug movie uh it, it's again a, another modern day re- western renner and olsen are agents 
and 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 there's all all sorts all sorts of manner of crime, drugs, shootouts. There's a, there's a there's a showdown in a, in a uh, in a trailer park and uh, or a trailer, and it's 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 great. It's tense. It's it's uh, it's 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 very 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 well made, but ends in some real mono mono showdowns, which Taylor Sheridan clearly loves. Uh, he, 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 after directing this, obviously, and showing his directing chops and Wind River was extremely well received, even, even it wasn't given a huge wide release. He has earned his macho chops, Hell or High Water, you know, Sicario, Sicario 2, Wind River. So he enters into this pact. He, he brings Yellowstone to life. He, he cast, you know, Kevin Costner as John Dutton, who is a tried and true cowboy, old school cowboy in a modern world who will not give up his cowboy beliefs, dynamics, runs a ranch. Um, one thing you're going to find out about uh, the ranch hands is they are kind of a mafia for Costner. Uh, there is a, there's a, there's segments in, in Yellowstone season one and two that you go, so Costner is the bad guy, but we're rooting for him because we like him because he's, he's, his character is endearing to us, but he is every which way kind of the heavy. I mean, he he has an army that he can summer, summon thugs that can really ruin your life, mess you up, and absolutely leave you for dead and in, and in a uh, very violent manner. In season three, there was a biker group, like a bunch of Hells Angels guys that were wreaking some havoc on his ranch. And it was in this, you know, couple episode exchange that you saw how quickly uh, John Dutton and his ranch hands can transform into a a gang of violent thugs who will just rip your face off in order to make their point that you do not mess with their land, with their ranch, with their cattle. Um, and I think that's really what people respond to. Again, there's a there's an, a, a, a channel that I've gotten caught up watching called INSP, Inspiration Network, whatever. I don't even know if it's a religious network, but on Saturdays and at, and at nights, on, on, on weeknights, they show Westerns. They show the Westerns that I grew up with. Rifleman, Gunsmoke, uh, Big Valley, and, and Alias Smith and Jones, all of this stuff, how the West was won, um, huge, seminal Westerns. I mean, Gunsmoke ran for nearly or did it exactly 20 seasons. I mean, this, this, the, these, these, uh, these Westerns, once they got, took root back in the 60s and 70s, they would run, but they're all very basic. And I'm going to tell you, when I saw Mandalorian season one and even more so Mandalorian season two, I realized so John Favreau and I are the exact same age. Dude grew up watching the same stuff I did. Westerns, all this stuff, you know, Six Million Dollar Man, but, but Westerns, all the same Westerns that were on primetime television or on repeats. Because when I was a kid after school, you had Gunsmoke, you had Rifleman, you had Big Valley, you had Bonanza. And then there was the occasional uh, uh, Alias Smith & Jones, some of these other modern, um, uh, 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 the Wild Wild West, which was kind of sci-fi in the West that ran in primetime and, 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 and the Mandalorian, I know there are exact episodes that he just yanked from an episode of Big Valley or, you know, Cheyenne. And, and you can see the, the, also the, 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 the effect that the Western had on Quentin Tarantino in some of the movies that he's done. Uh, um, um, there, 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 there's a lot of, of, of the Western television that he grew, grew up with depicted in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and how he depicts um, the, 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 the one kind of sequence of days where DiCaprio is on the set of this Western show. And you can see Tarantino was just really 
relating back to you, the stuff that he grew up and now he's going behind the scenes and how it was crafted. In some cases, he actually really did some research and in order to pull it off, all the stuff, all the behind the scenes drama. But so Westerns, uh, they're not making a comeback, but Yellowstone has made a comeback and it is violent and, and it is brutal. And the women give as much as they get in terms of violence. I mean, people have been literally blown up, buildings blown up, people gunned down in their in their cars on the side of the road. People have been thrown off cliffs, um, knife fights, uh, gunfights, shotguns, machine guns, uh, car pursuits. Uh, this, this show leans heavily into, yes, the macho, okay? Because now the streaming services, the networks, they realize, wow, it's great to have a buzzy show like Succession. That, that, that gets 1.5 million eyeballs, that, that, that gets all of the accolades, and I love Succession. I've never missed an episode. I love the saga of the Roy family. I love the, the dynamics. I love the media empire. I love the, the kids trying to wrest empire from their dad. But it does not get, it leaves over 8 million viewers on the table when it comes to Yellowstone, which is getting 10 million viewers. Now, remember, so my wife briefly had a period where she acted alongside her sisters. They were triplets. They got a bunch of roles. They had a three-year contract with Disney. During this time, during one of their movies that they made, the first one, Disney was like, this This has got to get 20 million viewers. This has got to get 20 million viewers on Sunday night on the, you know, the Disney Sunday night movie. And we laugh now when we look and see that the number one show on, on, a, on a given week has got 4.9 million viewers. My wife just laughs. She goes, we were in trouble if we didn't get 22 million eyeballs. We all remember that MASH got 80 million viewers on its last episode. Seinfeld, 50 million viewers. You know, Friends, 40 million viewers. These are, these are giant, you know, once-in-a-lifetime numbers for these giant culminating, you know, finales of these shows, but they averaged... They would average 18, 20 million ER in the day, Thursday night. I mean, 20 million was a given. I mean, these shows were just getting absolute crazy amount of eyeballs. And nowadays across, because everything has become so watered down with the 100,000 channels that we have to choose from and all the streaming networks, the millions of eyeballs have been divvied up differently. And now you're, you're lucky if your show gets 4 million. In the meantime, on a cable network, Yellowstone is putting is, is is picking up 10 million viewers. It's earned it. It's earned it with good characters, with good storylines, but with definitely with R-rated sex and violence. So in the in the TV world, in the streaming entertainment world, they are looking to replace kind of this audience that they've left on the table because they see that it's 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 trust me, you guys know this in comics, in movies, in in music. If, 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 if a tune is working for somebody else, they're going to play that tune and try and cash in on it too. You know, Nirvana kicked down the door and then every label had a grunge band and maybe two and maybe three. But uh, the thing is that, 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 that what's happening on television with Yellowstone, I'm telling you there's a fever in comic books that wants to be served, that wants the macho, that wants the, or a macho show. No, make, make me, make no, no doubt about it. Okay, macho show. If you go into Barnes and Noble, and I was talking to uh, a couple of executives from different publishing companies. There's a reason I don't give people's names. I didn't ask them 
uh, if I could say their name and if I just start blurting out every conversation I had with everybody, no one's going to tell me anything or share their viewpoints. And I want to bring those to you, but I'm going to do it masked. You know, I've been in this business 35 years. I've got a lot of connections and my quote unquote tribe of peers uh, has been through, you know, come up and, 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 and become writers and artists and publishers and editors and uh, all myriad across the board with different companies. I was talking to my buddy and he was like, you know that manga is exploding. It's just, it's having like a third generation of explosion. And you know that if you go to a Barnes and Noble or a bookstore in your area, in, in, in Orange County, there's still three really successful Barnes and Nobles. I'm always scared that they're going to close because they're big, giant properties. The one in Santa Ana, the one I go to the most is a double-decker, uh, two-story uh, uh, bookstore, uh, th- the biggest in 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 sur- the surrounding kind of areas. Uh, there's a there's one in Fullerton, and 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 uh, you know there's one in uh, down near the beach, but they're just not they're not on par with this one in Santa Ana. And again, I'm always excited that it's open. Everyone knows to get me gift cards. I, I I use them there. So 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 somebody bought the gift card, and and gave Barnes and Noble money. I'm always trying to buy something there to keep them going. What I what I do, and I always have, is keep my eye on manga. I've said this before many times. If you look at the the careers of not only myself but Eric Larson and definitely Tom McFarlane, we were all huge manga people. I would have long conversations about Akira with Todd McFarlane, um, the 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 cartoon and the uh, the adaptation and, and, uh, we, we talked about all manner of manga and anime. Eric Larson introduced me to certain manga titles, the fist of North star. Eric Larson said, you gotta, you gotta see this. We were walking around WonderCon like year two or year three. And he's like, have you seen this? And Eric's description just fit perfectly. He goes, this guy's walking down a road. It's like road warrior. And every 10 feet, he, he finds a new nemesis that, rises up on the road to battle him. And I was like, huh, I'm in. And I grabbed a bunch of copies and that's exactly what's going on. North Star is traveling the road and there's all sorts of manner of crazy monsters, villains, uh, uh, opponents that he has to battle through. Heavy, heavy on the very violent action. I really pivoted towards Appleseed. If you look at Appleseed, you'll see where I got so much of what I put into New Mutants, X-Force, Youngblood, all that stuff. It was a seminal work to me that, that, that just rattled me in terms of its designs and its action and its page layouts. And it's, uh, oh, I just, Appleseed really was my sweet spot. And luckily enough, I remembered that there were a couple of, uh, 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 there was a Korean bookstore and a, and a Japanese bookstore near my home's. And at one point at Extreme Studios, I brought everybody in the early 90s. And they and, and many of the, them had never been to one. And they were absolutely blown away. And we would go up to the cash register with like 50 books. And the guy at the register was always like, you afford all this? And I'm like, I can't, I can't, please. He because I don't want to ring this up if you, can, you can't afford it. And we would always just do our best to clean them out. And uh, by all manner uh, of, 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 of manga. For me, it was, it was Pat Labore. It was Appleseed. It was Bastard. It was Fist of North Star. Um, some of them are, 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 are escaping my my uh, 
my memory at this point, but I, but, but just, just those titles alone, Bastard, which is my favorite fantasy manga of all time, uh, uh, Appleseed, Pat Labor, um, Bubblegum Crisis. These were books that I just poured myself into. I just loved the designs. I loved the page layout, the action, the violence. Um, they, they pushed the envelope. They were more adult. They were better than what I thought I was getting at, at, at the two publishers at the time. And so I turned around and poured that and put that into my own work. My work is very manga-influenced, as is Eric Larson, as is Todd McFarlane, as are so many others. But I know for fact that the three of us would discuss um, all of our different manga and anime kind of purchases and indulgences. Nowadays, I, I mention my son Chase all the time. He'll be 20 next summer. And he has been, had a thing for manga since he was 11. It was what he responded to the most on those trips to Barnes and Noble. And before they closed, there was a chain called Borders. And we would always go there as a family and we'd always encourage the kids to get books and we all buy them a book of their, their making. I was much more liberal in letting them get maybe some violent manga because I see that it excited them. And, and if it gets them to read, then I'm all for it. Well, Chase has never let go of this manga uh, obsession that he has. And he knows that I also share an obsession and continue to collect vast uh, 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 amounts of, 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 of manga. And, uh, and so we, we, we cross over and maybe share books sometimes. 2013 is the first time I encountered Attack on Titan. And then it overtook uh, at the bookstore. But the reason I was specifically mentioning the Barnes & Nobles, I want to polish this off. See, we started with Macho TV and brought it to my belief that that the Marvel Comics, the How to Draw Marvel Comics, How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way is very much immersed in all things Macho. And, uh, and it's missing from comics right now. I can't tell you, like... I cannot tell you how many mainstream titles I went through and then go to the indie titles and there's just people talking around. And again, this executive at one of the big two said, Rob, we don't have the instruction. And it's like we, and, and so many of today's artists have been hired from overseas. We've got an entire uh, uh, group of Brazilian artists, Filipino artists, uh, Spanish artists, and, and, and they did not grow up on the same Marvel, John Buscema, Jack Kirby uh, 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 communication instruction that we did. And, 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 and their stuff is just, I'll, I'll say it, it's soft. It's soft. What also contributes to the softness is the fact that it's being drawn digitally in many of these cases. And I follow a lot of these artists. I see how they draw this on their Cintiq or on their iPad using their Procreate programs. And the thing about hard pencils and actual inking tools on Bristol board is the scrape of the pen, the indentation of the quill, um, the, the crust of the ink on the brush. Those, those, it's tactile. It's very tactile. And, and, and having tried the Cintiq and the Procreate, that the, the tactileness isn't there in the way that I experienced it on paper. And you guys know I have a, I have a giant collection of original art and, and all the guys who used to ink and brush and quill. And and I love looking at the pages and seeing the textures of the ink. And sometimes it's giant, sometimes it's giant gloops of, of ink that was coming out of the quill and scrapes. You can see the scrapes that, that the buildup of the ink on the paper to maybe make a, a certain thickness and then taper off to a certain thinness that gave an overall crisp line or maybe a crusty line, but in either case, a smoky line. 
it, that is lost digitally and, and the lines are more brushy and the work is softer. Um, some of these guys are also doing some great techniques, some great patterns, um, textures, and that's cool. That's all part of that. And, and some of it is making the stuff a little more, it, it, it's giving you that crust and that smoke and that, and that, and that crisp vibe that I'm telling you, but it doesn't carry consistently as far as I can see. So really some of the tools of the past, it's changing, but, uh, you know, when it comes to manga, when I go into the, to, to Barnes, to Barnes and Noble and I peruse the shelves and I go, Hey, I'm going to check out this title right, right here. I've got it. I bought a whole bunch from recently. Jujitsu, Jujitsu Kaisen and Ju Jujitsu Kaisen is action packed. I, I, it is a bunch of kick-ass. It's like R-rated Cobra Kai, a bunch of people breaking faces, breaking necks, snapping elbows, um, karate, karate, karate. The, the, and, and Cobra Kai definitely has a macho aspect to it. It's soap opera, but it never forgets that we're tuning in for kicks to the face. Again, Terry Silver now portrayed in all of his six foot, six, six foot high, six foot five glory. Doing a roundhouse power kick into our, you know, our hero Johnny Lawrence as he's knocked back or Daniel LaRusso, who's even smaller than Johnny. And the power that they're, you know, putting behind these stunts and blowing these guys through walls and across floors. Um, so, so Cobra Kai definitely subscribes to a ton of macho and we see it and we enjoy it and we experience it and it's another giant hit. But but there's Jujutsu Kaisen and it's action-packed and it's manga and I can't eat, I, 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 I cannot eat enough of this up. I took my, my gift cards after Christmas and I dropped... $125 in one visit and it was all manga because it's no different than 1989 for me. I'm still looking for the buzz that I got from Berserker, that I got from uh, uh, Berserk, that I got from, from Appleseed, that I got from Bastard, that I got from Pat Labor. Um, the, 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 that is what I am in constant search of. So then I grabbed this book called Chainsaw Man. And Chainsaw Man, the guy's face turns into a chainsaw. And you can imagine, once that happens, that he is taking people's heads off. And he is. And, and, and I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at multiple bodies being sliced across a double-page spread by the bad guy that Chainsaw Man is going to have to chainsaw up and beat. But there are um, people punching through people's mouths through the opposite ends of their skull. Um, there are people being impaled on swords. It is ultra, I will say ultra mega violent. People whose faces are stitched up after being torn apart. Um, and and they're, they're, here comes Chainsaw Man. And he just wants to rip these people into multiple pieces. And the way it is shot and directed and depicted and storyboarded and laid out and the breakdowns and the page design is nothing less than than exhilarating and exciting for me. It is the epitome of super uber macho. I mean, Chainsaw Man, Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the, uh, the, these comics. Gantz, you want to talk violent. Gantz is violent. It is violent. It is epic. Throwdowns. Uh, they're like, like, like super cops. 
And, and I mean, people are getting sliced and diced and, 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 and cut up and shot through their faces. And you're like, life, what are you doing? I'm just telling you what I like. I like R-rated stuff. I was ready to move on from Star Wars after Return of the Jedi and happily embrace James Cameron's Alien, Ridley Scott's Alien, uh, James Cameron's Aliens, uh, Total Recall, Robocop, Predator, you know, uh, uh, The Running Man. All of these R-rated movies, just, we grew up on that. And and again, what, what unites them is this, what, what I'm going to say, and I'm going to coin it, and there, there's, there's some humor in this. So don't take this so personal. Don't take, don't, don't sit there and, and, and say that I'm going on some weirdo male macho, you know, uh, uh, rant, but that's what I see as a macho approach. Chainsaw man is as macho as you could ever possibly imagine. I mean, again, a casual breeze through these pages are mega violent villains with multiple limbs, arms coming out of their head and ears, meeting up with guys with blades for arms and a chainsaw for face and slicing and dicing. You go, that doesn't sound good to me. Well, okay, then 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 go go find your true north because, baby, this is mine. Jujutsu Kaisen, Chainsaw Man, One Punch Man, Attack on Titan, Attack on Titan, the manga, and it is a giant section. And here's the deal. A guy on Facebook who, again, when I talked to you about my tribe, my peers, this guy cycled through the comics industry. Now he sells comics. He sells comics online. You could call him a flipper. He's doing okay for himself. He's paying his rent. He's paying his mortgage. Flipping comics. He's he's into it full time. He buys and turns them around. He goes to garage sales. He does all this. He posts, hey, everybody, have you seen, like in the bookstores, that the manga section is two, sometimes three times bigger than the Western comic book section, for like for Marvel and DC. And he's, he's not kidding you. If in the Marvel DC aisle, of which every Barnes & Noble that I've gone to has one, one aisle, it's, you know, it's a not nice long aisle of Marvel and DC shared images there too. Boom, whatever, the indies. If there's seven people in that aisle, there's 12 in the manga aisle, okay? If there's five, there's 10. The manga aisle, I've seen moms, you know, being led around by their kids asking, okay, well, where is it, honey? Okay, is this the one you want? Okay, let's buy these. Oh, they're not here. Okay, let's go to the other side. I have, I have watched them. As they pursue manga, why is this happening? Because manga is not trying to be anything but this hyper experience of action, violence, sometimes sex. The horror stuff is off the chain crazy. But it is a style of comic that I am no longer seeing in our Western comic books. And again, let's go back to Yellowstone. Why is an extra 5 million people? It's not apologize. I think Taylor Sheridan, whatever his politics, the show comes off as very, you know, conservative cowboy. It's guns, it's 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 open range. It's let's settle this mono e mono. Let's throw you through a uh, 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 a window and drag you out into the street ac- street across pavement. Um, you know, that that th- there is a uh th- th- this style of show is the reason they're looking to replace it or or or, or to add on to it and the rivals are doing this. I mean, and as I came on the mic today, I had read 20th Century Fox Television has optioned a series order for Hell or High Water. So Taylor Sheridan's not going to do it. He's too busy doing 1883, his hardcore R-rated you know, Yellowstone prequel. He's got Mayor of Kingstown. The guy has become the busiest, most prolific um, showrunner in 
Hollywood right now in television. And it's all macho, all macho all the time. And we've forgotten, you know, I guess in a sea of teen soapy dramas across the CW or kind of superhero shows that, that are that are absolutely pulling their punches. I'm going to tell you whether it's whether it's the Disney Plus stuff or the CW stuff, it doesn't feel like all of it is as is is um is is as uh, aggressive as it could have been. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now because of uh, the appearance of Matt Murdock, Daredevil. It's been a month. I can do this uh, in in Spider-Man No Way Home. Spoiler alert. Uh, and, and and then the the reappearance of of uh, Kingpin in the MCU via the the Hawkeye show, there has been a giant surge in viewership uh, on, of Daredevil on Netflix. You can just open up Netflix and see that Daredevil is sometimes very high up in the daily top 10 after being dormant for years. But if you watch those first two seasons, completely based on Frank Miller's seminal interpretation of Daredevil, it's got Stick, it's got The Hand, it's got Elektra, it's got Punisher, it's got the vicious kingpin that that that, that Frank Miller, you know, fashioned rather than the more comical kingpin that he had been in the pages of Spider-Man. Um, all of those two, first two seasons, one of the signatures and my buddy Phil, he was the stunt coordinator for Dare, for Deadpool. He was the stunt coordinator on seasons one and two of, of Daredevil. So those big hallway scenes, they were marked by, but did you see the hallway scene? Which was kind of an ode to the work that Gareth Evans had done in Raid, the Raid which if you've never seen, wait for your mind to be blown. Non-stop kick-ass action. Um, it, the, the, much of the Raid's influence uh, has been felt across, you know, all of the uh, all of the action films that have come out since. Uh, I, I kid you not. I mean, I mean, <laughs> there is no shortage. There is no shortage whatsoever of uh of 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 uh of the influence of the raid look no further than the extraction okay series with chris hemsworth the first one they're filming the second one now the first extraction um it didn't it didn't it didn't take openly but it, it has familiar beats of action when like you know on the second floor of an open you know uh, uh terrace hotel you know our hero chris Hemsworth is going to battle six guys, you know, from every angle coming him coming at him left, right, center. That's very raid and in 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 one nonstop continuous shot. And it's very exciting to watch and when you pull it off it's super impressive. And and Sam is a hell of a director, maybe maybe one of the very best, but look look at what what brought back Keanu Reeves' career, John Wick. And we are waiting John Wick 4, but John Wick 1, 2, 3, fantastic. Stunt coordinators who became directors, and 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 whether it was Chad or David Leach who went on to direct Atomic Blonde and Deadpool Two, um, uh, uh, you know, and uh, Hobbs and Shaw. I mean, these guys, Chad, uh, uh, David, um, Sam, you know, Hargrave directing Extraction. These are big time action guys who were stunt coordinators on Marvel films, like Phil, uh, my, my buddy Phil Rivera, who who. Uh, who who did the stunts for Deadpool and, and and I mean like that's why the fights and all the action was so brutal and awesome between uh you know in uh in the Deadpool movie um you know he 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 was weaned on on the hard stuff 
on 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 <laughs> on uh, uh, it, it's Phil Silvera. I, I knew I needed to get it right. Uh, I just am used to calling him Phil. And trust me, we've got a project. We're trying to cook it up and make it extra special for all you guys. But uh, that Daredevil, those hallway scenes from season one and two, he he stunt coordinated those. And those were kind of the buzzworthy sequences that kicked off both seasons and got everyone buzzing. And they're a little harder. They're a little more R-rated. They're a little, they're a little more um, gritty, for lack of a better word, than what you're getting on CW or, or the, the Disney Plus stuff. And I dig it, and, and there's a response to it, and it always brings an audience. And again, if, you, if, if you're doubting it, look at what started the third act of Keanu Reeves' career. Again, I started this talking about Josh Brolin's multiple acts, all these macho roles. Keanu Reeves is machoing out on John Wick. And, and of course, then he did his own comic book this last year, Berserker, you know, with Boom, which is kind of another, like, like what if John Wick was an immortal? It's very Highlander-ish, but it's very action-packed. Guns, knives, violence. It did very well. You're like, Leifold, you're a crazy violence guy. No, I'm not. I just like action. I just like R-rated. I like I like stuff that I can't get anywhere else, and I like a lot of it. And that's why manga, if we have any doubts, manga's doing horror. They're doing action. They're, they're doing crime. They're doing cops. It's not just superheroes. They're doing, obviously, the, the fantasy, Attack on Titan, and My Hero Academia, which, of course, I have to mention, which, again, my son is so into. This is the stuff that thrills him. My son Chase is really not a Marvel or DC fan. He doesn't. He's not into Western superheroes. He is into all things manga. Where is this all leading us? You know, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. When I was a kid, and I was a pastor's kid, and I obviously uh, was exposed to a lot of the Bible, preached a lot of the Bible, participated in a lot of Bible teachings. But I, I remember, I was so. So excited by the Old Testament. The Old Testament is where Samson cracked, you know, 50, was it 100, was it more Philistines with the jawbone of an ass, okay? So so, so the jawbone of a donkey, he takes it in his, head, he, in his hand and there was a spectacular painting in this illustrated Bible book that I got when I was a kid. I got it as a gift for being in my aunt's wedding, for being the, the ring bearer. They gave me this giant and I couldn't take my eyes off of it because the picture of Samson with the lion, that's cool. And 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 uh, and Samson toppling the temple, very dramatic. But this double-page spread of Samson in full reach—it was like John Buscema laid it out. It was full extension of the snap of his hand, with the crack of that jawbone, that bone smashing a Philistine soldier's face, while his other arm is extended, punching the other Philistine, and he's surrounded by Philistines who are storming him, who are rushing up the hill to take him on. Um, did you know? Did you know? Let's end this. Did you know that David, of King David, of David and Goliath, of his fame, that he, you know, went in uh, to a, a rival, to an enemy encampment and cut, brought back a bag of dicks to his king? Yes, he did. First Samuel 18, 25. I'm going to read it to you right now. And Saul said, King Saul, thus shall ye say to David, the king desireth not any dowry, but a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. Um, and Saul was kind of setting David up for a fall here, okay? But Saul thought to make David fall with this mission to the Philistines. And Saul said, thus shall ye say to David, the king desireth not any dowry, so he's, he's you know, but a hundred foreskins. And uh, 
Uh, I'm going to tell you right now. He did it. Uh, he came back with a bag of dicks. He snuck into the camp, and David cut off all their foreskins. Well, you know, yep, that's in the Bible. So so you kind of think that's exciting when you're a kid and you're reading that, and you go, whoa, whoa, foreskin, I know what that means. So he cut off the tips of all their peckers, and he delivered them, and he did. He gives them to Saul. and's like, this is what you want. This is what you got. He didn't just kill Goliath. He cut off his head, and he hung and he, and he held it up. He's, he's kind of a teenager when he did this. And, and, and he told everybody on the Israel army, you're all a bunch of sissies. You're scared of these guys. I can take this guy. I got the, I got the power of God behind me. With my slingshot, I'm going to take down this giant. And when I'm done, I'm going to use his sword. I'm going to cut it. I'm going to cut off his head. Um, David, very violent. Joshua, very violent. Oftentimes, you'd hear, you know, God would say, I don't want anybody alive. Kill them all. Old Testament is very exciting. Joshua, Moses, Samson, Gideon. I mean, Gideon takes on a bunch of sorcerers. I mean, this is incredible. Then you get to the New Testament, and it's super boring. Nobody's cutting foreskins anymore. Nobody's toppling temples with their super strength. Nobody's cracking Philistines' faces with the jawbone of an ass. It's teaching. It's peace. It's, you know, life of Christ is very exciting. Obviously, he rises from the dead, big-time, miraculous event. But, man, the Old Testament was my jam. And it's because, wait for it, it was macho. The Old Testament never forgot to be macho. The good Lord, divinely inspiring the writing of the Bible, was like, we got to keep these kids, like Rob Liefeld, engaged. And we're going to do it with all the violence and some crazy sex and some crazy violence. And again, if you're not familiar with that David story, well, you are now and you can go read about it. So, uh, you guys, that macho scratch, that's, we got that macho itch, we got to scratch it, and we're going to scratch it. And really what set all this up is, I got a book coming out, a reprint of Profit Number 1, which sold 800,000 copies. I put it out that I'm going to do this. It's a facsimile edition. You've seen facsimile editions. Marvel does them all the time. DC started to do them, even though the former fired uh, editor-in-chief or publisher, Dan DiDio, didn't like, he didn't like, oh, I don't like that the, that the reprints are selling more than their new stuff. Well, get used to it. We love our nostalgia. Profit number one, monster numbers. Retailers came and wanted to buy variants. There's 11 of those. They got some top names to do them. Each and every cover is super duper macho. I have approved 11 covers where Profit, who may, may be the most macho character I've ever created, even more so than Cable, has a giant sword in one hand, and that sword is covered in blood. And part of his arm is covered in blood. And he's gritting and he's angry and he's got his you know, face guard on and his armor. And his shoulder pad and another gun and another hand, another arm. He's holding a giant gun that it doesn't look like he should be able to hold. It looks so heavy. And there's bullet casings and the guns are firing and there's bullets, you know, spitting past our hero prophet. But every single cover is some sort of amalgamation of what I just told you. Sword, gun, gun and sword. Um, yelling, screaming, anger, rage. And you wonder why this book is getting the numbers it's getting. And I sit there and I go, Crap, I'm tapping into something that, 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 cause Macho wasn't just the comics I grew up with. It's the comics that I made. It's Brigade, it's Prophet, it's Bloodstrike. At, at Top Cow, it was Cyberforce. Okay, it was Death Blow over at Wildstorm. Spawn would come and go with its, its Machoism. Savage Dragon is the epitome. 90 Savage Dragon is the epitome of guys putting their heads through walls taking a guy and putting his entire body and his face through the pavement 
Incredible. Macho, macho, macho. Let's keep the macho coming. The Old Testament, new macho. We love macho. You love macho. And if you don't love macho, then what'd you do? Why did you listen to this podcast for the last hour and six minutes where all I did was talk about macho comics? Manga is crushing it, and there's a reason why. It is, again, whether it's Jujutsu Kaisen or my One Punch Man or my copy of Gantz or my Chainsaw Man, my Chainsaw Man, there is copious amounts of blood, violence, blades, guns, slicing of people's limbs, faces, heads, uh, severed heads, by the way, blood, and a, and a serious dose of, of sexuality um, because people have sex. They do. So, guys... We're going to return to the macho. Return to the macho. Let's look forward to it. It's, it's coming. People are going to wake up just like these networks. How come Yellowstone gets 5 million more viewers than the next second best show right now and did for that 10 weeks that it was on? And why is it such a huge show? Why is 1883 right behind it? It's because it doesn't forget that we, we there is a time and a place for for song competitions and medical dramas and lawyer shows, but there's also a place for the macho, lest we forget, because people like that stuff. This is the time of the show. After we're done, and I've had a macho spell with you guys, because we're a macho show, this is the time of the show where I share with you guys um, the, the generous reviews that you guys have left for me, because we need your support. We need you guys reaching out and sharing with us and, and telling people how much you love the show. That is that is um very important. It's very important that you guys uh, leave us reviews, leave us five stars, subscribe, recommend, uh, share with your friends. You guys have been so great. The show is growing because of your word of mouth. And part of that, what generates that is these reviews. I'm going to read this review. This is from J Flakes, P-L-P-H-L-J-P-H-L-A-I-X, J Flakes or Flakes. Really fun, very brief, very brief uh, review. It says, new Rob fan, five stars. I was a Spider-Man fan growing up. I was a sporadic X-Men reader. I thought Cable was awesome, but that's about it. I lived the Image Comics boom and knew the story. I still stuck with Todd. After listening to Rob's all caps infectious enthusiasm and love for comics, I am a Rob fan. Now, I am a Rob fan now. I went back and read X-Force, Youngblood, Deadpool, and all his Deathstroke stuff. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Jay. That is that is the entirety of his um of, of his uh of, of, of his review. And I'm I'm really fantastically happy that the podcast is what drew him there. Because again, like he said, after listening to Rob's infectious enthusiasm and love for comics, I'm a Rob fan now. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for reading all that stuff. Thanks for leaving this. Thank you, J-P-H-L-A-I-X. J-Flakes. Flakes. Um, that's re- we, we need more of these. Guys, you keep them coming. I read them at the end of every show. Thank you for your support. Thank you for being there for the show. Thanks for spreading about it, uh, spreading it out on the interwebs, on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. You guys, I am on Twitter. I am on social media. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, full name. R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I got a blue check. That tells you it's really me you're talking to, and I love talking to you guys. I love sharing, retweeting, comment tweets, whatever we all do together. I dig it. I have so much fun. 
on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. Join me, follow me. I read your comments. I read your DMs. I love talking with you guys. When you guys tag me, I try and share those as much as I possibly can. You guys are so generous with your enthusiasm. I am so thankful for it. I want to give back some of the enthusiasm you guys give me. I'm all over Facebook. I got a million groups. It's not hard to find me. I stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, The only group I don't think I'm in yet is Lost in Space, okay? But if it was on in the 70s and the 80s, I'm following, I'm digging it. Original art groups, Silver Age groups, Bronze Age groups, 90s comics groups. I'm everywhere. I'm all over social media. Please drop by. Please say hi. We have a Robservations with Rob Liefeld page on Facebook. Please check it out. Robservations with Rob Liefeld on Facebook. Like it. Subscribe to it. Um, Comment on it. We We will find those comments. We will talk to you guys. So... This is the time of the podcast. You know the deal. You're gonna you're gonna take care of yourself. You're gonna you're gonna stay out of trouble. You're gonna do well. Uh, now more than ever, you're gonna stay safe. And uh, we're gonna circle back, and we're gonna talk again real soon.